Blog Talk Radio. And now, and now, where the paranormal meets the sacred, and all topics in between, live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show, with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow The Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for any upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're happy and proud to say they were translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and The Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And during this show, I can take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your question and speak with our special guest tonight. Remember, any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out, and I'm going to call you back because I have all your numbers when you call in. So don't bug me, and I won't bug you. And be polite, play nice, and make this a nice and cozy place to visit. I have a couple of little announcements before we get our uh, wonderful guest on tonight, and I want to tell you a little bit about Marilyn Salas's creation of love's blessing and she sent me a beautiful little kit that i've been using every day and it's almost time to reorder and christmas is coming up so i'm telling you get these orders in soon it's a a love's blessing is a meditation and healing mist it has 26 healing essential oils and it smells to me like a very soft incense and if you want to get yours contact marilyn salas at www.lovesblessing.com and, of course, my zero friends, we're all going to be at the Christmas party in the Queen Mary, and it's coming up this Saturday. So, uh, wait a minute, not this Saturday, it's next Saturday. So, it's coming up Saturday. We're all going to be on the Queen Mary, the haunted Queen Mary, and uh, those in the know know where you go. So, it's uh, the deadline has already been met for the payments, and you can... Also, check in, with, check in with Marilyn at the www.serialinternational.com. I think the deadline, you know, we had to have the deadline uh, payments in because they're ordering dinner and everything ahead of time. So uh, I think you're going to have to contact her. Just uh, Facebook me, and I'll find out anything else if you can show up for dessert or anything. Anyway, I want to let you know my cousins, Chris and Tracy Simpson, are out there in Texas Ghost Tours, and they do a two-hour walking tour uh, I think it's pretty nominal, and um, the fee's not too much. And they, for prices and tour days and hours, get a hold of them by calling Chris or Tracy Simpson at 713-562-0429, or you can reach them at email, texasghosttours at yahoo.com, or their website, www.texas-ghosttours.com. 
Anyway, I know we're all guilt-ridden after going on our turkey day benders, but check out my friend Katina Morris. She's a representative of V-Shape, and it's a healthy way of eating with delicious delicious weight management products. And you can get a hold of her at katinamorris at yahoo.com. They're very portable and pre-measured. You can carry them around and eat better. And on a sad note, I just want to say uh, tonight's show is dedicated to my paranormal brother, Bill Whitehead. Rest in peace, my friend. And he's been my true brother in the paranormal, and he's been on the show, and we talked a lot, uh, you know, on the side. And I really miss him already. And I had our last conversation down, and um, our last conversation was this, because, you know, when people pass, you always think, what was your last conversation? This is what Bill said to me. He had a very good heart. God bless you for the work you do. Without people like you, I would be gone. And then I said, God bless you back, and it's my purpose. And then I sent him a little heart. So hugs to friends and family. And we never know when our time has come. And peace, Bill, big brother. God bless you. And then uh, all of us have had um, unique spiritual experiences as we are spiritual human beings. And uh, our guest tonight... Terry Johnson Weber is going to tell us all about that. And she used to be uh, a nurse, and she retired from that, and she's done many awesome things in her life. I'm going to get her on right now. Hi, Terry. You're live with the Paranormal Sacred. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Char. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad uh, that you were on. And um, you just have an amazing story, and I read your book. And it's uh, tug of war, trusting God through the unexplained. And you have very many interesting stories in here, and uh, and it's got really nice reviews on uh, Amazon. Is where I got it from. And uh, would you like to kind of give us a review of uh, where you grew up as a child and uh, what led you to uh, to start being an author? Sure. I actually grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I lived there the the first 50 years of my life. So most of my life really did take place in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I was a nurse. I eventually got interested in church work. So I've got kind of a varied background in terms of work. Um, But I think growing up um, with being the oldest of four sisters and, you know, with the various friends, we lived in uh, several different homes in the St. Louis area. And so I have friends all over St. Louis. Uh, So I have a lot of stories. (laughs) And I think in terms of getting interested as an author, um, some of those stories just kind of stayed with me, you know, throughout my lifetime. And I found them interesting. And the funny thing is, probably about eight or ten years ago, I decided that I didn't want to lose those stories. And so I initially started writing them for my three sons. And at Christmas each year, they would get a little handwritten story from me. And and it just grew. I eventually added my sisters to get those copies and some of my friends. And because I have quite a few friends, all of a sudden, uh, I was hand-making all of these books. And it frankly, it just took too long. <laughs> and so I thought, I think when I gathered the stories for this tug of war, 
I decided I'm going to gather them, I'm going to write it, and then I'll publish it. And it's so much easier to give everybody a book. That way I didn't have to create all these various books to give people. Uh, and and I tried to share the stories that I think fascinated me and some of those stories that I just didn't want to lose. So that's kind of how I got started in being a published author. Uh, probably I've always enjoyed journaling. I've always written things down throughout my life. And uh, so that also helped me to remember those stories pretty well because a lot of them I did write down over the years just for myself. <laughs> Yes, uh, and, uh, you know, you did the right thing because uh, I know that your family it, will enjoy this for uh, generations to come. And, you know, the fact that you got it down and it's all the houses where you live because it, it's it's autobiographical. And right. uh, so you've got a lot of the, the evidence right there, which I think is wonderful. And um, I like what you said in your introduction because... There's a lot of strange things that have happened to all of us and, and things that you wrote about, but, um, you know, they're hard to explain. And you put it like this in your introduction. I do not have the answers, but I do have the stories that will help you ponder the answers. I pray yes. for wisdom. And just, yep, and I pray for wisdom and discernment as I share my story. I want to honor all my experiences by telling them truthfully. Yet I want to avoid labeling those stories I don't fully understand. I believe I will someday, just not this side of heaven. I love the way you said that. Oh, that, thank um, you. Yeah, so it's it really beautifully written. And uh, so when was your, uh, if you want to go back, when was your first experience and what, as a little child, uh, motivated you and impressed you? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, as a as a little child i and i have a couple of those stories in here um when i when i pulled this book together i decided i would pull things from my life that showed god's presence in my life and of course i called that that tug of good uh and i also decided i would show some of uh the presence of the devil or evil or bad in my life and I was actually in a very happy family, so very close to my mom and dad, my sisters, my grandparents. I uh, lived a very happy, what I would call normal life. However, as a very small child, I was about four years old, uh, one of the stories that I included in this book uh, was being molested by the boy next door. And also, as it turned out, his mother, uh, not too long after that, spread some rumors about my father. There were some break-ins in our neighborhood, and they happened to have occurred on the same night that my dad was working or was going to school. He was taking some night courses at the local community college. And she just knew that dad wasn't home on those nights, that the break-ins were occurring, And so she started the rumor throughout the neighborhood that it was my father doing that. (laughs) Um, And so I think two things that impressed me as a very, very little girl was that this woman who called herself a Christian and who invited us to come to church, and we were not churched at the time, was also um, almost a center of evil in the neighborhood. And uh, that just didn't seem to make sense to me. 
in fact, the second book that I wrote is a book called The Healthy Church Office, and that's kind of the subject of that book, how we as Christians sometimes get in God's way and and our own behavior really just defeats the very you know purpose of our mission and ministry. But um, so... A couple of those early stories are the the bad things that happened. But I will say this. If you've read the story, you know that I was baptized when I was five years old and that um, I actually saw angels at my baptism. And so not only... Yeah, oh, that's one of my favorites. You know, not only was there evil tugging on me from a very early age, but I think God in his mercy sends us these incredible tugs and hugs of love in, um, you know, many ways. And so the fact that I saw those angels made God very, very real to me. So like you I said, that tug of war has been going on a long time. <laughs> it has, you know, for all of us, it's for a lifetime. I guess it'll always be going on, you know, till yes, we, we to the other side. But do you want to tell that story about your baptism? What led up to it and what happened at your baptism? Because it's a beautiful story. Sure, I I would love to tell you know part of that story. I was baptized with my father and my two sisters at the time. I have three, but the third one hadn't been born yet. And um, like I say, we were not a churched family. Um, but my aunt had taken us to vacation Bible school that summer. And following that, I think the pastor and my aunt, <laughs> you both kind of worked on my parents and said, these girls should be baptized. Well, my mother had been baptized as an infant, but not my father. And so he was baptized with us, and uh, he carried my little one-year-old sister, and he held the hand of my three-year-old sister. And I was five. This was just a few days after I turned five. So I walked down the aisle, you know, with my dad. We went to the front. We were baptized. As soon as the baptism was over, I wanted to run back (laughs) to the pew. Uh, I was just too nervous standing up there in front of all the people. And, of course, my dad was sort of encumbered with these two little ones. And so I was able to get back to the pew much quicker than he was. When I got back there, of course, Mom was sitting there, and she said, don't sit yet, just stand in the aisle till Daddy can come in and sit with the girls. So I stood in the aisle, and while I did, I was surrounded by about seven little children about my size in a very bright light. And I just remember them hugging me. Usually, you know, it was like two at a time in this group, and they'd come up and they'd hug me, and they said, welcome to the family of God. And it was a really incredible moment. Now, as a child, I didn't realize there was anything unusual happening. What I did know was I'd only been to church once or twice in my whole life at that point, and I was very shy, uh, and I was afraid to be around people I didn't know. And as these children were hugging me, I thought, oh, wow, if I could go to Sunday school with these kids, I would be thrilled. And so about that time, Dad got back to the pew with the two little ones, and he crawled over Mom, and he sat down, and Mom let me come in and sit. And I said, Mom, who were those, who were those children? Well, my mom didn't know what I was talking about. 
she offered at first maybe it was the kids in the choir, but they were much bigger. They were like fourth grade, and I was only five. So in my mind, they were the big kids. And I said, no, not the big kids, Mom. Who were those children right here next to me? She hadn't seen a thing. And I thought, okay, maybe if she was looking straight ahead, she wouldn't have. But surely Dad did, because he was walking down toward me while this was going on. And she asked Dad, and he looked at me, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders, and I could see he had no idea. And at that point, I just kind of crossed my hands and kicked my legs out and said, never mind. Because I think even at five years old, I realized I had experienced something that not, nobody else had. Nobody else had seen it happen. And it was, of course, later, as I really thought about that, I thought, you know what, those were angels. Nobody else saw them, but somehow God sent those angels to me, gave me that big hug and welcome into his kingdom, and it was a very, very special day for me. You know, it is, and how do you feel uh, about baptism and the necessity of baptism? And and I know you have your own personal thing in, in light of your experience, but do you, do you feel that this is important? Right. Well, you know, now as an adult, I am a Lutheran, and that's definitely part of our belief system. Um, I do believe that there are real gifts that we're given in baptism. And in the Lutheran church, we even baptize infants. So it's not necessarily in our church that you even, uh, as a a person being baptized, make that decision. We believe it's a gift that God gives us and that he works through that. I would definitely say in our family's case that that really was the case because, like I say, we were not churched at all at that time. And yet shortly after that baptism, my parents did begin going to church, um, you know, we began having little family devotions, and our faith really grew, and uh, we really developed spiritually after that. So I I look at that as um, a time that God brought his grace to us, and he began a, a good work in us. And, uh, you know, I, you know, within my faith system, we believe that there's forgiveness of sins and um you know, that that's also involved. But, uh, yeah, it was a very, very special day for me. It is. Uh, I was baptized at a very young... Well, I'm Greek Orthodox, so we do baptize infants. And mm-hmm. I was I was four months old, but I do consider it a great blessing for me. Yes. And, you yes. know, and I know I'm a very aware that it stayed with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I, I encourage it, especially, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, to me, it's no, like I, a I definitely think there's something like the to it. Baby, yeah, an innocent baby hasn't done anything wrong, but I still believe it's good to dedicate this little baby to the church. That's what mm-hmm. I feel about. Yes. So, so that's that's a way of uh, doing that. So, um, anyway, you were talking earlier about that evil woman that was in in your block and. Uh, it turned out to be a really horrible thing for you and on her son too. So this lady would actually come and, and act like she was a, a Christian, and then uh, it it, uh, it turned out horribly, really. Right, and I do think within the church, you know, all of us as Christians need to be mindful that people do watch our behavior, and um, you know, and and yet we're all sinners. None of us are perfect, and 
that really does impact someone else's faith. If they, if all they know of Christians is that there's hypocrisy and uh, not the showing of love that there should be, that can really drive people away from the church. And so I, I just feel very strongly that uh, as God's people, we have to be mindful of what we say and how we behave and uh, just be very careful to share God's love with other people. Yes, that's right. And uh so um so you were, you you told that part of the story actually um hello. Yes. Okay. Uh I just was hearing like a beeping sound, sorry. Uh so in telling that story, you were even though uh you were hurt as a child, you uh how did you deal with this ultimately? Uh, I think how people in general often deal with things like that, um, you just kind of stuff them away. You know, you stuff them down, Mm -hmm. you don't, you might remember it, but you don't dwell on it, you don't think about it. I actually didn't even tell my mother about it. I didn't tell my mother about it, and it's in the story, you know, as people read the story, they can see that I didn't tell her about it when it happened. And in fact, I probably didn't even tell her about it until about the time I was writing the book. You know, I it was probably 40, wow. 50 years after it happened before I really ever said anything to her about it. Wow, what did she say then? <laughs> well, of course, did she remember the lady? Terrible. Oh, yeah. sure, yeah. They re- they remembered okay. the lady, and and she felt badly. And um, I think there was that that thought of, oh, you know, I wish you would have said something. But as as it all played out at the time, um, I felt guilty, and I think sometimes this happens, especially to children, when they mm-hmm. are victimized. They're made to feel like they're the one who did something wrong. And so part of me, I felt like I had actually done something wrong, not that he had. And, uh, you know, and that probably was a little bit of why I didn't say anything either. Yeah, and and plus you didn't know what happened. You were, you know, you're afraid and you don't know if it could be worse or, you know, little kids think like that, you know, and then they only blame themselves, of course, and that. That's the other thing, you know, what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, this this goes on, you know, since uh, time began, probably, this kind of thing. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I identified with the mystery of it, you know, because it, mm-hmm. it, it adds a darkness, but the, it, it made it kind of a mysterious thing. And um, you were just a baby. Yeah, so you were right. Only five, I was only four. You know. Yeah, yeah, four or five. Yeah, and right. um, uh, how did the controversy about your uh, the dad play out? Well, sadly, what happened, and uh, I guess I should say here, my parents are young people. <laughs> they were young; te- they were teenagers when they were married, and uh, sixteen and eighteen. And wow. uh, I was born ten months later, so my mother by then was seventeen. My father was still eighteen for another few weeks, so they were very young. Mm-hmm. You know, when this happened, I believe I was four or five years old when the when the woman was spreading the rumors. And so, what you're looking at is my parents at that point were only like twenty two and twenty three years old. By then, they had three little girls, and um, they. 
they've always said since, you know, had they been a little older and a little more mature, they would have held their head up and stuck it out because they loved the house that we lived in. Um, But she had turned all of the neighbors against us. Uh, The neighbors did come back, not the lady next door, but the other neighbors came back and they all apologized that they had believed her when when the whole truth came out and it was clear that my dad had not done anything. Uh, but I think it had hurt my parents so much at that point that they moved. They they moved away a few mm-hmm. blocks. The builder that had built that house that we were living in uh, was building a new subdivision. And so we moved a few blocks away. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dad didn't have his uh, garage anymore, and he loved the garage. <laughs> it took him yeah. a few more years before we got a house with a garage. But, yeah, that's what happened. They They did move. They felt uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Well, do you know whatever happened to that lady and her son? Like what was the ultimate outcome? Yeah. Oh. yeah, that I do not know. That would be that would be interesting. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and so, and I had mixed feelings about her because um, you know, frankly, she she was a presence in our life that was encouraging us to go to church because we were, we were not church people at the time, and uh, you know so there was that dichotomy there. It, it was sad. Yeah, it was, and you know, but after that, I think that you, uh, what you were writing about is that you came to love Jesus, and that um, you started to take comfort in that, and then you got baptized and. You were so little to be, you know, thinking about these things, you know, but it's amazing yeah. to me, you know, that how young you were. But on the other hand, I was the same kind of kid. Mm-hmm. I always knew, I always knew God was there and I always had faith. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm hoping, you know, I mean, that's my prayer for all of my family, that my kids who are now grown, that they had mm-hmm. faith and also that my grandchildren do. And, uh, yeah, that's always your prayer because, frankly, I, I know out in maybe close by in your area, San Bernardino, the the terrible tragedy that happened there a few days ago. I think of those things, and I and I wonder how people get through those things if they don't have faith. Because that's where I, I find comfort in my God during those times. Yeah, um, because, you know, there are at times that everything else will fail you. You know what I mean? Yes, and uh, that's when, because uh, people have talked to me about this. I said, what do you think faith is for? You know, you don't know. That's why no. you have to have faith to move forward. You're not going to know. You're not maybe even know why now, but you'll know why later. Right, right. Yeah, we. I somebody described it one time as right now the things that happen in our lives. It's kind of like seeing the underneath of a tapestry or a piece of counted cross stitch. And I cross stitch, so I can really identify with that. It's all jumbled and you know different colors, and you don't even know what you're looking at. But from God's side, He sees the whole picture, and and I believe that someday we will too. That we'll understand yeah. all of it. We will. And um, have you noticed that there is a lot of people passing away? I'm just telling you, asking a question on the aside. There's a lot of people, all ages, passing away, it seems, right now. Yes, yes. When I was a kid, you didn't hear about it too often. It was usually somebody old. You never heard. We used to call it, we never said the word cancer out loud. We would say C word. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we it was you know things are different now. Lots of people, young and old. Yeah. And by the way, you have my sympathy at the loss of your friend Bill, because well, I know that you. has been very recent for you. Yeah, it but, is. Yeah. It's just Tuesday. Imagine how his brother and family feel. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. So sad. Well, he's, he was in a lot of pain, and um, he hasn't suffering like that anymore. That's the thing we can be happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but we still feel, you know, bad when they're not with us anymore. You know, and even if you wanted to call him, you can't call him. And that's another thing that this is why if you have a faith and a belief system will help you through this. Right. And things That's like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I probably see things from a little bit different perspective in terms of ages because I was a pediatric nurse for so long and I worked with dying children. I worked with children who had all the cancers and leukemias and anemias and back in the 70s, which was when I was at Children's Hospital, uh, so many so many of the children um you know, died from those diseases. We have such uh, such improvement in our health care now, but we still lose children, but not not the rate that we did back then. Well, we do have uh, improved therapies, but back then it was just terrible. You know, yes. when you had that, especially you weren't expecting it from a child. You know, um, right? What? How did you cope with? This is very hard. I only did it for a year. I worked in the perinatal unit at uh, Harbor General Hospital, and mm-hmm. I worked there with substance uh, abusing mothers, so they would deliver drug-free babies, and some of the babies were drug-exposed, so, you yeah. know, we had to deal with that. But I can only take it like a year, mm-hmm. and that was it for me. I, yeah, and again, I, you know, I think... Where God calls us, he equips us. <laughs> and okay. uh, certainly my faith was a big part of that. But I I believe he really called me to work with children and their families. And um, certainly my strength came from him. <laughs> right. Did you observe any kind of, what would you say, paranormal or standout experiences as a pediatric nurse? Because I heard a lot of of doctors talking about those things that go on there. Go ahead. I had to get a drink. Um, Yes, I did. In fact, I'm afraid I'm going to get a tickle in my throat. (laughs) That's okay. Anyway, there is a story in the book. If you need to cough, just cough, and then I can edit it out. (laughs) 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 Even though I'm nervous, don't be nervous. (laughs) I'll fix it. No, unfortunately, sometimes I get a tickle in my throat. (laughs) So I I think our air is dry. I've got some water handy, but but no, actually, one of the stories in the book is about uh, one of the paranormal experiences that I had. But I will just say, in general, uh, definitely, when you work with dying children, some of those experiences are extremely moving, and probably those experiences themselves added to that strength that I felt. Um, the the particular story that I shared in the book was of a little girl who had had her leg amputated. And she had cancer, and uh, she had been in and out of the hospital for about two years. And this particular hospitalization, she had come to die. I mean, we knew that. We knew that when she came in, that she wasn't going home. 
Um, and interestingly, the, about the last 48 hours of her life, she kept noticing someone standing in her door beckoning to her. And um, I took care of her those last two nights. I was working the night shift. And uh, I can remember her, you know, at the very end, she sent her dad out of the room. Sometimes children have a hard time dying when their parents are there. It's Mm -hmm. a little harder for them to let go. So she sent her dad out of the room, but she asked, would I stay with her? And I sat and I held her hand. And she told me, and although I saw nothing, she was very clear that she saw someone. She says it's either Jesus or an angel standing in the doorway, and he was beckoning to her. And um, she said, is it okay if I go? We had talked about it for two days. And I said, if you think that that's Jesus or an angel, yes, it's okay. And she held my hand, and within the next breath, she took her last breath. Uh, There was just a sense of, you know, of peace, really. I mean, it's so sad when a child loses her life, but this little girl had suffered. Like you say, her suffering was over. But just knowing that Jesus or one of his angels was there ready to take her to heaven, (laughs) and she saw that before she died, Um, you know, and, and her story was probably the first one that that happened, but certainly I saw that more than once. I, you know, I witnessed that with more than one child as they died. They knew. They knew where they were going, and uh, and they went in peace. And so I, I think that there is a a comfort that comes from that. Very much so. It's uh, very dramatic uh, because... Uh, you know how else will we be able to bear this stuff? Absolutely. You know, if we didn't, yeah, if we didn't know that there was a better, I do know that there is a better place. Right. And uh, that if I didn't know that, you know, this this would be hard to bear. There, I was thinking about it today, um, not in a depressed way, just in a factual way. I have had a few out of body experiences and uh, mm-hmm. being very sick and also having a lot of dreams and stuff like that. And uh, one 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 time when I did leave and I was going up to heaven, it turns out that I have a heart ailment. And I didn't know I had, so I must have been dying in my sleep a few times. Oh, wow. So I was gone. I know I was gone a few times. So uh, the one, but one coming back, you know, because I, for, I would always inevitably think about my children. And then, mm-hmm. then I would be sent back yeah. really fast. Coming back is hard because you're uh, – Okay, this is the way I felt outside the body. Outside the body, you still have love, you have concern, you have no pain. That's not part mm-hmm. of your life anymore, or the burden of being here, or anything like that. All that's gone, or worrying is gone. All that's gone. You do have concern and love, but coming back, it all comes back again, including the pain of whatever's here in your body right. or whatever. So, you know, I guess we kind of get used to carrying that uh, pain. But I was thinking that today, I said, gosh, you know, it's painful here. Oh, yes. It's painful (laughs) on Earth. (laughs) Yes. It really, I mean, it pulls us down physically, mentally. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pain on Earth. I know. I told my my coworker, because he's having issues, I said, damn, it's hard between uh, 53 and 63. That's uh, made a big difference in my life. 
<laughs> 53, I didn't feel this way. I said, 63, man, it hurts, you know. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's just uh, something we have to bear. And, uh, you know, getting outside of ourselves is actually helps us bear it even better to me. You know, we're right. in service to others like you are, and you're still in service to the church. And like your other book that you were talking about, you are talking about the differences, things that happen when you're in church. And, right. uh And uh, I think it was very practical. And do you want to tell us something about that book? I want to come back to this book, too, but I wanted to hear talk about some of your practical suggestions for the church. Right. And, and like I said, this particular church was written for Christians and churched Christians, actually. It was mm-hmm. written for church members and church staff, both. Because working in a church, you know, when, when you're there every day, you see all the inside stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, and you're, you work with just the best of people. You work with the cream of the crop and people who uh, just dedicate their lives to you know, helping others. And at the same time, you work with people who <laughs> complain and um, and and will rage. Uh, you know, as a church secretary, I had people would come and yell because I misspelled their name or whatever. But oh, you would yeah. have people come and, and rage at you as well. And often it was the same people. In other words, the people who were doing some of the best work were also some of the hardest people to work with. And um, and sometimes they, they didn't yell at me, but I could see them maybe yelling at the pastor or someone else on staff. And, and I just felt like, you know, as Christians, we need to be aware of this and we really need to address these issues because... I just think that's one of those tugs from evil, frankly. I think that's the way that the devil likes to play it out in church. I think when you're in church work, you you just better be very aware that the devil's going to be right there at your side all the time. <laughs> and we just have to be aware of that. We have to really support each other and uh, and not tear each other down. That is very true. Um well, if this is it's not only with your church, your but sorry, your book is called the Healthy Church Office. It's called the Healthy Church Office, right? Yeah, so you can get that on Amazon. But um, this also happens in in a, a lot of organizations. Yeah, you know, sure. and it's always it's just not the church; it's actually everywhere. It kind of makes you sick, you know, because mm-hmm. there's always somebody's going to drag the meeting on. By complaining, or you know, just a, I don't know, I, or or yes, if you missed, I had edited for uh, oh this one organization, so I did it for a couple of years, and uh, the the they couldn't think of anything because of course I got all my spelling right, but what it was wrong was they said that it was too professional looking. The newsletter looks mm. too professional looking. <laughs> And I went when I heard that I went I I'm actually turning in my editorship because wow. if it's too professional looking uh, I want out of here. <laughs> yeah, they they were just looking for something they to just, complain that's about. That's what I'm trying to get it out. It was one of the exactly. most idiotic uh, <laughs> comment, you know. And other people that you know, but now oh boy, it's changed hands so many times because they get they're going to get it. So I just wish them luck. And I tell them, well, you're always going to have people that are going to. Be against anything that you're doing, yet they won't do That's it themselves. True. 
I know. Your story reminds me, when I was a parish nurse, one of my jobs was to visit um, members who were shut in in their homes or who were in nursing homes. And I remember one day I went to a nursing home and I had lunch with this really sweet lady. She was just so fun. But we were sitting with another woman that she often ate lunch with, and that woman complained the entire lunchtime. She complained about the server. She complained about the food. And this lovely little lady that I was visiting leaned over to me, and she says, Honey, some people are going to complain in heaven. (laughs) I thought, she's right. (laughs) That's right. Some people you just can't please. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. The complainers. I don't know, but it's just, maybe somebody did that to them, so they're going to dish it out the rest of their lives. That their lives. That's what I think. Uh, yeah, I Somewhere don't know, and it could line, very well be. It. Yeah, it could be, and you kind of feel sorry, really, for people like that that can't find something fun and something good and something to be thankful for, really, because it really boils down to gratitude. Yeah, it does. Just stay grateful, and you know that's a. I actually believe gratitude is a biggie because. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sorry. I believe gratitude is a biggie because uh, I have no idea who has decided not to come right now. But I'm so sorry. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take our little break now. How about okay. that? I am sure. very sorry. So what I'm going to do is, uh, let me see. I'm going to put on this song. And uh, you can take a break, too, and I'll come back. I'll I'll just uh, tell you I'm back. Okay, great. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. I don't even know if my song was on. I did hear a song. Anyway. Okay, good. Yeah, that song uh, I was uh, playing with permission from the producers happened to be 
a nice friend of mine. So I said, oh, hey, okay. use this, this song. So I thought that was cool. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I, I know. So, uh, well, what I want to ask you about is also you had some very odd experiences as a child. And one of them was I was trying to figure it out what was happening to you. But the one where you were being picked up by the wind. Yes, that's a, a story called The Winds of Florissant. We lived in Florissant when I was a little girl. That is in St. Louis County, North St. Louis County. And uh, we, uh, I was in a Bluebirds, which was kind of like the Girl Scouts, the little you know, like brownies in the Girl Scouts. It was, it was young. I was like probably kindergarten or maybe first grade. And I had gone down the street to the uh, you know the den mother's home for a meeting and my mom stayed home with my two little sisters so she wouldn't have to come out and get them up from their nap and uh the den mother would just call my mom and say you know Terry's on her way and it was really just a matter of about three houses between the houses so she would watch me till she saw mom <laughs> saw me and and that was that and this particular day when i went to leave i um i opened the front door to leave and it was as though something grabbed the door right out of my hand and it swung the door very hard you know, outwards against the front of her house. But what was really frightening, it it was as though a, a big hand in that wind reached into her house, grabbed me out of the front door. It lifted me over the wrought iron railing of the porch and threw me out into her front yard. Um, it was a terrifically frightening event. And as a little girl, I didn't really have the words, you know, to say evil or malevolent. I didn't know those kind of words. I knew it was bad. Whatever it was, I knew it was bad. But I felt very strongly that something really was out to get me that day. Um, I remember, you know, crying and running home. And the, the mother just said to my mom, she said, I don't know. She says, I think a wind knocked her down. That was her best description at the time. And uh, I remember just feeling like it was so much worse than that. I I really felt attacked by something evil, but I didn't have the vocabulary to share that with my mom. Um, Interestingly, about six weeks later, the very same thing happened again, and my mom happened to have been the mom that was helping that day at this meeting. And so when we went to leave, (laughs) I went to touch that door again to open it. I was between my mom and the door door and I had to open it because she couldn't reach around me. She had her hands full and she goes, go ahead, Terry, you know, go on and open the door. And as I put my hands just toward the door, I felt very strongly that something was just kind of like daring me, like, go ahead, I dare you to touch that door. You just go ahead and do it. And I felt like if I did it, something really bad would happen. Uh, Of course, in the back of me, Mom's going, Terry, open the door. (laughs) So I finally did. I touched the the handle, and again, like before, I I, I barely touched the handle. I don't even know that I depressed it enough to open it. That door was grabbed out of my hand. It was flung against the front of this woman's house again. And again, it reached 
into the house. I was standing not even in the doorway at that point. I was, you know, just at the door, but but not even like going out to the porch yet. It grabbed into the house, pulled me out of the house, again over the railing of her front porch. That time it flung me down almost at the street. So it was a, a much more vicious attack, I would say, Um but it but it flung me way down there. I was all scraped up. I remember getting up, and my mom was with me that time. And the woman said to my mom, that's what happened the last time. And my mom, I think because she witnessed it that time, she knew it was it was bad. It was it was so much more than I just got knocked down by a, a high yeah. wind. And, you know, and I remember her even saying, you didn't tell me it was that bad to this lady. And, uh, you know, she went home and, of course, we called Dad. And a phone call to Dad always helped to soothe things. But I, I do recall that, uh, just that, that horrible fear of something evil out there. And it was almost as though it was telling me, I know where you are. I can get you wherever you are. You can't get away from me. It was a really very frightening time. Well, what uh, what's your explanation for that? Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, the the natural explanation, you know, for Florissant, Missouri, is it was in Tornado Alley. It was in an area where we were subject to tornadoes. Now, neither time were we in a tornado. <laughs> right. Uh, and of, you know, of the time that we lived in Florissant, no one else, that had never happened to anyone else. No one else had ever been grabbed out of a house once, much less twice, and thrown across the yard. Uh, I don't have an explanation. I, You know, like I say, it could have simply been a really weird and horrible coincidence that twice I was caught in a very bad wind. But both times there was such a feeling of evil surrounding it that even though somebody could say that was the explanation, I don't think that was. I think it was an evil attack. I really do. You know, I you would be going on in your life to do so much good. I think that people uh, do that do have, um, let's say, a lot of the saints actually had a lot of persecution. Even Mother mm-hmm. Teresa... Um, uh, had said that she at times would have a great difficulty, and all yeah. the things that she did, she still had a great difficulty uh, due to uh, some of the negativity in the world and the way she felt about it and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of that was from a lower power. Yes. I I wouldn't doubt that. I I really wouldn't. And I do think that often, like I say, there you know, I mean, <laughs> that's the theme of my book that we are in a tug of war between God and the devil, good and evil. And um you know, I don't know if if he was trying to prevent me from uh living out a life of faith. It certainly could have been. It could have been. And, you know, I was just wondering, how has all these experiences that I'm sure didn't stop, and they probably still go on, uh, how does this affect uh, your family and those around you? Uh, 
That's a that's a good question. I will share this. Um, my husband and I um, are on our second marriage. We were married for 27 years. We were divorced for six. We've been remarried now for about eight. Um, but that first marriage was very tough. And, and I believe mm-hmm. in retrospect, and <laughs> talk about theories, I really have a theory about it. I believe in retrospect that it was Satan trying to prevent, you know, prevent us serving the Lord, prevent anything good coming out of our relationship, good coming out of our marriage. Particularly, I will say this, our middle son is a pastor, and he is a pastor wow. at a big church in Omaha. I don't know, thousands of thousands of members. And very much of what we dealt with in our first marriage was um, had to do with uh, me being able to take the boys to church with me. My husband was not going at the time. He is now. But at the time, mm-hmm. he was not going, and he often tried to prevent me from taking the boys. I believe, uh, now that my son's a pastor, <laughs> um, wow. the battle is over. Um, you know, I don't run into a lot of that those evil things anymore. Uh, and I do believe that maybe ultimately that's what he was trying to prevent, but I believe God had a plan, and God's plan went through. <laughs> it certainly did because, you know, the negativity and lower power uh, knew that you would be uh, blessed with a pastor's son. And it just makes me wonder why, you know, because, you know, I think that we're twins from another life. I don't know how this <laughs> happened, but I've also, I haven't divorced him yet, but I've been married 27 years, and we have been split up the last six years. Uh-huh. You know, we're not living together. And um, yeah. he never wanted to go to church with me. And I remember mm-hmm. I'd go to church and I would be so lonely because you see couples going in and uh, holding hands and stuff like that and going to church. And that your husband is not with you because he's rejecting the whole thing. You right. know, uh, this is the perfect way to split families up. Definitely. And I believe it's part of Satan's plan. I really do. You know, I would love to read you one. I would love to read you the shortest story in my book because it has to do with this little boy that did become the pastor, if you don't mind. No, of course. Okay. It's the chapter that's called Baby Danny. Uh, Not quite a year after that incredible reassurance of God's love for me, and that's from the chapter before, I was seven months pregnant with our second son. I thought since our first child was a boy that the second might be a girl, but the ultrasound I insisted on to prove it wasn't another mole showed it was another little boy. Soon after, I had a dream in which God spoke to me. Would you like to see him? God asked me. I nodded yes and was shown a baby about seven months old in an orange and yellow stroller. I instantly loved the little one with chubby cheeks. Then the Lord said to me, this one is mine. I have to admit that comment scared me. I had great fear that it meant he was going to die as an infant. I never quite understand my dreams correctly, do I? After Danny was born and when he was seven months old, he looked exactly like he looked in that dream, chubby cheeks and all. And I am happy to tell you that 32 years later, he is alive and well, but he is God's. 
He's an ordained Lutheran minister. And just this past summer, Pastor Dan touched the lives of 25,000 young people in San Antonio at the LCMS National Youth Gathering. And in my chapters, I often will have a quote. And this quote yes. is from Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. How beautiful. So that's that's uh, the the story when I think about what what Satan tries to do, and yet God, uh, in his grace and his mercy and power, uh, I think when we trust in him, he just makes wonderful miracles happen. Definitely. And it's just, uh, it's such a beautiful, I don't, I don't know, it's stunning to me. And I just thank God that that's, that's what happened. And have you still? Do you still have these these kind of dreams? Or are you keeping track of them? Um, I do keep track of them. I don't have them near as often as I used to. Um, I seldom. I seldom have uh, the precognitive dreams anymore. I seldom have, um, you know, the, the experiences anymore. Um, and I would say, not. I don't want to say they're totally gone because since I've lived here in this house, probably within the last three or four years, I've certainly had some. Um, I don't know if you remember, but kind of toward the end of the book, I wrote a <laughs> a story about flies on the ceiling in our family room. Yeah. And that actually only happened about four years ago. So that wow. was fairly recent. Yeah. That is. So do you want to tell us that story? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was <laughs> that was one of those, you know, for people who enjoyed movies like the Amityville horror and yeah, you know, right. go into a room and there's flies all over the the windows and so on. It's kind of what it reminded me of. We my husband and I were sitting watching T V one night and I, I always am doing some counted cross stitch or crocheting or something while the television's on and all of a sudden I heard you know, a couple flies buzzing around and had the light on next to me, and they were buzzing around inside the lampshade. So it started with just like a couple flies, uh, and that's all it was at first. <laughs> and then pretty soon there were maybe six or seven, and then pretty soon there was another ten on the outside of the shade and some were inside. And then before we knew it, there were maybe 20 or 30 on the ceiling. And it just kept going. These flies came in from we didn't know where. They weren't in the rest of the house. They were in no other room in the house but where we were. And before you knew it, I say there were at least 200, but uh, it almost covered the ceiling (laughs) of flies. My God. all of a sudden, they were gone. I mean, they were there, and then they started going away, and it got down to maybe just these six or seven at the lamp. The very next night, it happened again. And again, it it came up to where literally our ceiling, and, and this is not a small family room. The room's probably, you know, 15 by 20. It's a pretty large-sized room. And... Basically, that ceiling was again covered with flies. We have no idea why, but certainly there's that 
that sense of you know I always I associate something like that with a real horror movie. Oh, <laughs> and, a damn uh, yeah, horror. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what I thought about. Well, my husband got our we have a, a built-in vacuum system, and he mm-hmm. he got that the wand out and he sucked them all out of there and then we never had any more but the strange thing was we had no idea where they were coming from you know they just would show up we didn't see them coming from the fireplace or from a window or from another room they weren't going into any other room they were just buzzing i mean the room was just humming and buzzing we had so many flies Uh in there it was really, it was very creepy, I will tell you that. But yeah. then they were gone. You know, and again, was that a little tug from the devil saying, you know, I'm around. <laughs> I may not yeah. bother you much, but I'm around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so your husband, what did he think about this? Um, he he is, uh, what do I want to say in, in terms of the paranormal? He doesn't mm-hmm. say much about it at all. He's no, definitely he just, not into it, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah, uh, I mean, he he's, he's read the practical. stories. Yeah, he's he's very yeah. you know practical minded, and uh, he doesn't say too much about it either way. Either way, um, you know, even the angel stories, he he just doesn't say much one way or the other about any mm-hmm. of them. Has he had any experiences? Um. I don't know that he personally, well, yes, there was one, <laughs> and I just kind of hint a hint at it in the in the book um okay. and frankly, beyond that, I don't know what to tell you about his experience um it's uh let me see if I can find it in the book. We had gone to a party at a friend of mine's it was a uh Christmas party actually, and uh her parents had recently become charismatic, and that was not a part of our our faith system. We had never done the the speaking in tongues, and we didn't know anybody who did that. But that took place at this particular party, uh, and frankly, we were both a little bit uncomfortable with it. And we came home kind of early, and after we put our our six week old, we had our first son, six weeks old. We'd put him to bed, and. Um, Don did have an experience that night. He saw something in our bedroom door. He heard something. He he finally said, sure, come on in. Uh, and I will say that it was after that that we began to have a lot of troubles in the marriage. Why did he uh, say come in? I, I don't know. Oh, my I, goodness. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. Like scared. I say, he's not into this at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so whether... Whether he was mad at me because we'd gone to the party and was just trying to get my goat and and pretending, uh, or whether he really did see something. He told me he saw something. He did say, sure, come on in. He never would talk about it with me. And so there's a part of me that can't help but believe that, um, well, in the book, there's a story about demons that preceded this story. There's a part of me that can't uh, help but think that perhaps whatever had really, really been oppressing me and coming at me, that maybe it gave up on me and decided on him. Uh, I don't know. But like I say, certainly Satan uh, buffets our relationships, and he brings in a a lot of... uh, 
you know, discord into a marriage. And and I certainly saw that happen afterward. So there's a part of me that says, yeah, I do think that it was uh, an evil presence. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, because I think that's what you uh, actually uh, did the title of that. So I hope you guys get this book. It's it's really great. Any one of these scenes, this could be a movie, this whole thing. With all these scenes in it, and Some of them uh, good. <laughs> yeah, because they're just so good. So uh, again, I'm gonna tell you the title of her book is "Tug of War: Trusting God Through the Unexplained," and it's available on Amazon. And uh, I, I've been enjoying my copy because I I read it because uh, there's like little short stories, so you can pick it up anywhere and just start, you know, right. and uh, read. So right, I, I there's really about like 40 stories in there, and you you can read one a night. You could probably read the whole book in you know four hours or so. But what I found, the feedback I've gotten from people often is they read it real fast, and then some of those stories just stick in their mind, and they'll go back and read those again, you know, and yeah. then pretty soon they're yeah. reading another yeah. one again. <laughs> right, right. So you know, there's like when I was a kid, we. Uh, we used to talk about and discuss the shadow man, and he had a cloak on and he had a hat on, and we called mm-hmm. him uh, DJ. We had, a, even we, mm-hmm. we had a name for him, and I remember we would talk about him at night. And I would say, you know, don't you see him standing in the corner? Yes, we'd just be talking about him and mumbling and trying to go to sleep and, uh-huh. you know, burying our heads over the covers. And um, we probably got the name from Dastardly John, so we actually had a name for this guy. And... uh he scared us because he'd be standing there. But you have a, a similar story in your chapter, The Smoking Cowboy. And do you want to tell us yes. about this story? Yes, that one actually happened to my son. Uh, there's only two stories in the whole book that didn't personally happen to me. And that particular one happened to my son, and he didn't tell me about it until I was actually starting to write this book. And he shared the story with me just very recently. Um now, he's 30 years old now, 31, but at the time, I think he was probably in grade school, probably around fifth grade, um, because I asked him, I said, Chris, when it happened, where was I? And he says, Mom, I think you were in the kitchen, <laughs> which um, wow. when you hear the story, you'll realize why I'm laughing. He obviously yeah. cared more about getting himself out than saving his mother, <laughs> but uh, he he had come home from school, and back in those days, um, our oldest son was already away going to the College of William and Mary. He was already in Virginia and going to school, and then our middle son was in middle school, and the youngest was in, like I say, upper grade school. Well, he was usually the first one home of the two boys that were still at home. He was the first one home from school, and he wasn't expecting his, you know, the the middle son, the older brother, to be home for about 15 minutes. And when he walked in the front door, he heard guitar music. And his first thought was, wow, if I'm hearing guitar, Mike, our oldest son, must be home from college for some reason. And he really didn't come home except at Christmas and summer. So, I mean, he really didn't come home from college. But Chris heard the uh, guitar music, and he thought, oh, Mike's home. He walked in the house. He walked upstairs. And as he got to the top of the stairs, standing in the doorway of the boys' bathroom, which was the hall bathroom, 
bathroom up there was this shadow figure that to him looked like a cowboy and I know people have seen silhouettes like this. They, I've seen them in, in kind of done up in black ironwork a lot. But he mm-hmm. said he was standing on one leg. He had the knee bent, and so the boot of the knee that was bent was, you know, up against the door frame. He was kind of leaning forward, had his cowboy hat on, and he was smoking a cigarette. But it wasn't a solid figure. It was this black shadow of this figure. It was very very clear. And when Chris realized that it wasn't a person and that it wasn't his brothers, he he literally just ran out of the house. So I had no idea this even happened. Um when he finally told me about it, you know, just a couple of years ago, I um, you know, I said, you know, where was I? And he said, I think you were in the in the kitchen, mom. He said, but I just went outside till Dan got home and then I came in with Dan and and there was nothing there anymore. He never even told his brother. Um mm-hmm. I, and that just rings true to me. I know for myself that when I would experience something like that, if I thought something occurred that nobody else knew, I also wouldn't share it. You know, I would just keep it to myself. And the fact that he didn't say anything, to me, rings very true. I think you're sometimes afraid people won't believe you. You're afraid people are going to laugh at you. And certainly brothers, they tease each other mercilessly. So I can see why he didn't tell his brother. Um, But he carried that all those years. And when he told me, I I felt a little bit like my mom must have felt when I told her about the, the boy that had um, molested me as a child, it was like I was so mad at whatever that was, Mm -hmm. whether it was a demonic presence or what. It was like I was just so mad at it that it had scared my child. (laughs) But it was long past. There was nothing I could do about it. But it was very dramatic. And, in fact, he was watching a, a paranormal witness show not oh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago. And uh, he called me on the phone because he, he knew I was probably watching it myself. And he asked if I had seen it. And I go, yeah. And he said, did you see that figure in there standing on the stairway? He says, that's exactly what I saw. So it was very, very similar to what he had experienced as a child. And, and I think for myself included, sometimes I watch those paranormal situations just because they happen to me. And you just want to see if somebody else has experienced what you experienced. It makes you not feel so different, you know, if you know that that was a, somebody else had gone through the same thing. And uh, so it's exactly. very interesting with that, that smoking cowboy story, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting because there's a lot of people that are calling them the shadow people that they're uh-huh. sort of like, I don't know if there's real spirits or some some are saying they're somehow in another dimension. They're not sure what they are. Yeah, I, and I don't know either. I, I don't have theories on those things. And that's why, as you noticed in the book, for the most part, I just tell the story. I tell how it happened. Yeah. And I sort of let the reader leave it up to them what interpretation they want to put on it. Because, frankly, most of the time I don't understand some of those things. I just know what I experienced. And I I don't have a real uh, good name for it. 
Yeah, well, we could just call it shadow people, and don't, you know, because I don't know what else to to say about it. You know, you you've actually um, been, uh, you know, re- reconciled with your husband, and um, things have have changed, and you sound a lot happier. And yeah. um, how did you guys meet up again? Like, what happened? Well, we never really lost touch with each other. I mean, you know, we had right. three boys together, and oh, a couple right. of them got married over that that time period. So it, it wasn't like we um, ever really uh, lost touch. I guess I would say we kept in touch a lot, and then at the holidays we would usually get together, all of us, um, and. Um, it's a long story that some of it I I won't share right now, yeah. just for his sake. But yeah. we were just things happened that we were able to get back together. Wow, I I, I don't know. There's hope. You know what I mean? Because yeah. to me, your story is actually bringing hope to a lot of people that, uh, you know, are giving up hope because they feel like uh, this isn't going to work out. There's no way this can be mended or. Uh, fixed, and uh, you're, you're talking about a uh, miracle that um, right. that brought you guys back together. To, to me, that's even a miracle that you can heal in that relationship, and it's a big deal. You know, it's just not it's not a little deal; it's a big deal because in my uh, religion, which is Greek Orthodox, is the marriage is a sacrament. Uh huh. You know, I don't I don't know how it is in, in Lutheran, but that marriage the itself Lutherans is a holy thing. The Lutherans don't consider it a sacrament, but I know that the the Catholics do, um, and okay. certainly okay. there's there's a lot of things I think that God has planned for us in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right. I mean, I I think Christ was just He was able to redeem our marriage and and, and bring us back exactly. together. And you know that's the best I can say that it really was. It was God's hand in it, and and it was a miracle. Wow, it's beautiful. It reminds you of uh, Jesus as He attended the the wedding in Cana, and uh, how beautiful that wedding must have been, and how He participated at the wedding. And yeah. uh, I think it's symbolic, but I think that He was at a real wedding, and you know all that really did happen. You oh know, right, it's important and. Uh, you know, that we, uh, you know, not take these things lightly. Anyway, I'm really happy, and I feel like you guys are blessed, and I'm happy for the way it happened, and, you know, you never know how things are going to turn out. Right, right, yeah. Yes, thank you, and, and we are. We're we're very grateful, and, and our lives, um, you know, they're just on, on a really good path now. Yes, really nice, and I think... Uh, you know, sometimes these guys have to mellow out and begin to appreciate what they're being offered. You know, because I don't know if he has military background or, you know, no. or came from a military family, but you know, they have a begrudging kind of deal going. You know, they blame a lot, right? Right. And they're stuck in the way they are. They just want to stay that way, and they don't want to change. And you know, nobody's going to make me do it. And I don't know. They got to right. up. <laughs> You know, in the good way, not the bad way, but just, sure, to, you know, yeah. be more loving towards their wife and family, you know. But I think this is a task that, you know, for generations, the the man was remote, but not always, because you hear these great love stories. Oh, right. Well, like I say, my parents, you know, they were married as teenagers, and golly, if any 
body's got things going against him, you know, you can't really expect a teenage marriage to last. But goodness, they've been married um, 64 years now. They are each oh other's God. best friends still. And, I mean, it's just beautiful. <laughs> That's amazing. My Uncle Louie and his wife was like that. They, oh. they did. They did have three major uh, fights in their uh-huh. in their fifty seven years. Oh. That's in fifty seven years. They had yeah, three major fallouts, <laughs> and then they came back together. You know, and they were with each other. You know, now they're both in heaven together again. You know, uh-huh. um, my uh, uncle Uncle Louie passed uh, earlier this year, and uh, oh. it was he had you know she had passed. At least eight years before him, so it was pretty tough on him. Oh you boy, know, cause sure. They were each other's existence, and uh, yeah. it's really something. So, um, also, you know, you've had many dreams that uh, have um, come true, or told you something, or had lessons for you. And I found yeah. that uh, there's one particular experience as you have a child, and, and as you got older, but the one where you were being taught about the Trinity. Is very oh, profound. That I mean, is very my profound favorite and story. Yeah. I know, and, mine and too. It is, and it's, it's it is beautiful. profound. Because, you know, I'm sorry. Do you want to tell us about that story? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, that happened shortly after I was baptized. So I, you know, I was baptized when I was five and. Uh, saw the angels at the baptism, and it, and you have to know this happened to a, a little five year old who'd only been in church like twice. I mean, literally twice. I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about angels. I knew nothing, certainly, about the Trinity. And what I find just amazing is. Um, I met Jesus in this dream. That's the bottom line. I met Jesus in the dream, but he revealed himself, God revealed himself to me as a, the triune God. Now, that's, that is uh, a theological concept that even now at 63, I could not explain to someone else. You right. know, I mean, it's a profound mystery. And yet when I met Jesus in this dream, and I'll I'll tell the listeners about that, um, he really revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's just absolutely amazing to me. Of all the stories in the book, you know, I have to say it is my very favorite Um I I was dreaming, I was sleeping, and Jesus came to me in this dream. He held my hand. I remember walking down this little dirt road, and I could feel the cool dirt <laughs> coming up between my toes even as, as we walked. He walked me to, at the time, what I thought was a circus, because he took me into a tent, and the only tent I really was familiar with at that point, because I hadn't grown up with Bible stories, was like the tent of a big top, you know, so so I thought I was at a circus. And we walked into this tent, and there was a big throne in the room, 
and he sat me on the throne and he introduced me, even though I saw no one, he introduced me to who he was calling Father, God the Father. And I sat on the Father's lap and uh, Jesus just was this friendly, laughing person. He was so friendly and so kind. Uh, you you just absolutely loved him. You know, there was nothing about him that you didn't like. He was just so friendly. And um, after I sat on God the Father's lap for a few minutes, Jesus took me to sort of a pit in the middle of the room, uh, or the middle of the dirt floor in this tent, and he had me look into it. And he showed me like like movies almost in there, but it was like one story after another from the Bible. Adam and Eve, Moses, Noah, I mean, it just went on and on and on, all these stories. And I remember just being enraptured by it and enjoying it so much. And then it was time to not watch anymore, and I was really disappointed. And I, I really wanted to stay and keep watching. And at this point now, he kind of looks over to another place, not where the throne is, but just sort of another place over there by this little brick pit. And he says, don't worry, he, and he he talks about he, which I believe he was talking about God the Holy Spirit. And he said, don't worry, he'll, he'll remind you of all of these things. And actually, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit bringing these things to our remembrance. And here's Jesus is telling me, the Holy Spirit is going to remind me about all these stories I've seen. You know, so that later, as I did grow up in the church, and I did hear all the Sunday school stories and all the Bible stories as I got older, um, you know, it was almost like I'd already seen them all all of them already that Jesus had shown me. But anyway, what was really fascinating about that dream, um, after I'd met God the Father and, and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus started to take me out of the tent, and then he laughed again. And he and he kind of looked where the Spirit was, the Father. He looked and he goes, oh, why not? And now I didn't know what he was talking about. And he took me to the back of the tent. There was a flap and we went through that flap and there was like a second room in this uh, tent. And back in that room was a very scary guard standing duty right inside that doorway. And uh, then I noticed that he had wings and it was this great big angel but it wasn't like a happy smiling angel at all he looked scared and actually if Jesus hadn't been holding my hand I think I would have been really afraid to even walk past him but we walked into this room and Jesus took me over to kind of a a podium and, and on this was a great big book and he flips over a few pages and he has me look at this book and he says, what does that say? And I looked in there. Now, I'm only five and I didn't really read, but I could recognize my name. And I saw that it said Terry. And he basically went on to tell me that when I was baptized, that my name was written in that book. And he showed me my sister's names, my dad's name. He flipped a few pages um backwards still and showed me where my mom's name had been written. It was just really interesting. And then he flipped like into the future. 
and I don't know, he didn't tell me who it was, but he laughed, and, and by then the guard was even kind of laughing with him, and um, and I just know it was somebody in the future. Now, whether it was my children, my grandchildren, I have no idea, but he um, you know, was showing me that there were other names written in that book. I believe that book was the book of life that the Bible talks about. Um, I just, it was just a most remarkable, remarkable dream. And as we did leave then, um, you know, he kind of blew me a kiss and and he told me that the spirit, uh, he, the spirit, was going to stay with me. And, uh, of course, I believe in baptism that we do, that Mm -hmm. we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that Mm -hmm. God does live within us and, and guides us. So, uh, it was a, a very profound theological truth in this dream that that the Lord allowed a five-year-old to dream. Uh, and I think that's what's so astonishing to me every time I remember that dream, that I was so little, I had no understanding. And yet even now as I look back, I'm like, oh, wow. It blows me away even still. Yeah, me too, because when I read it, it was, very mystical, and uh, I I knew that you were a child, but I, uh, I think because your name at that point was uh, written in the Book of Life, and I was just thinking this through, and I said, okay, so that means she's going to have the information, and he just wanted to share uh, some of this, uh, what the Trinity means, and that this is, this is a bigger deal than we think it is, you know? Yes, yes. You know, this is a this is part of the necessity. So, um, it's just. Uh, I wonder what he's laughing about, though. I I I think you know every time I think of that dream too, it was just he's just pure joy, just absolutely yeah. pure joy. <laughs> yeah, look and, how wonderful uh, her life and her children and grandchildren, great grandchildren and great grandchildren. He probably looked at a whole uh, head. Right, yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. It is amazing, and um, so um, so you're still you're still at church. You're still uh, uh, active Lutheran, and are, do you still uh, do things for the church? Are you still involved with, uh, um, you know, what they're going? Go ahead. Right, I'm involved with a lot of the things that we do at the church. I no longer work in the church office, but uh, we have a very active church here in in our community. We shelter the homeless, we feed the homeless, um, we collect, you know, well, certainly gifts at Christmas, but we collect things uh, throughout the year, whatever the needs are. So, you know, at Christmas we collect Christmas gifts, at Thanksgiving we collect food for Thanksgiving baskets, Baskets. Um, we, you know, our church. Our when our pastor came to town, he's this wonderful man. He met with all of the um, the teachers, all of the principals of the schools around, and he said, "We don't want any kids going to school without backpacks and the supplies that they need." So please let us know. So I mean, we collect, like I say, different things for different people throughout the year, uh, just trying to, you know, serve the community. Um, so yeah, I, I try to be involved with any of those things that I can. Yes, and that's a, I think that's a, a good way. What do you, um, 
What do you recommend now for people that have, um, you know, uh, these life experiences and um, you say that it's really helped you, but I know I know it's really helped me too because I have these experiences up until this day. I thought at one point they would probably go away, but they haven't. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I'm still being helped in, in so many different ways. I don't know if I'm like denser the most or I take a lot of education, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, to me it's like a it's a coming to almost, almost like you're half asleep and then you're coming to and then you start understanding a little bit more. And then when you right. understand, oh, my God, and I did this and this was this, it was supposed to be this way, and then yeah. you realize you don't know anything. It's almost like you get to start <laughs> over again and again. What do you recommend for people to do? That's what I'm saying well, in general. Well, yeah, it, what I think is, first of all, if you have any any kind of experiences, whether it's that tug of evil or tug of good, uh, a couple things. First of all, I would journal it. I would write it down, if for no one else but for yourself. And second, what I didn't do at the time, and I think I should have, was share it with other people. You know, um, have have some good trusted friends that you can talk about you know, your experiences with. Um, for me, it was very therapeutic, certainly, to write the book. But it, it definitely has opened some doors for me to talk to other people. And And one of the things I found is so many people, once you share, they've got a story to share with you, too. And yeah. I think that there's something... Uh, almost sacred, really, about doing that, you know, with each other. It's it's a little bit of that Christian fellowship, I think, that um, when we talk about the things God has done in our life and we hear the things God has done in someone else's life, I think it strengthens our faith. And I do believe that it's, it's something we should do. Um, and then also... Um, help help people in the community and where, wherever you're aware that there's a need if God has given you a special gift really use that gift for to better someone else you know and to benefit someone else because I you'd said it earlier when we sort of get out of ourselves and and put it towards someone else um, I think maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing and I think that's why it feels good <laughs> to do that and why we feel better about ourselves when we're able to, uh, you know, really benefit someone else. Right, and to to be in service and have that gratitude is something I, you know, I teach. We just went did it today, uh, and uh, about having gratitude, and uh, we do those exercises where I work, I do it with my clients, and uh-huh. and we remain grateful and count our blessings. It seems like everything's better. You know, there's an right. immediate up, uplift of of mood and uh, possibilities if you remain grateful. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that, um, again, just being positive is so important. You know, uh, we live in some really tough times <laughs> in the world and in our society, and um, there's so much to pull us down. And yet I also believe that we're here to help lift people and lift people's spirits and, uh, you know, concentrate on the good and concentrate on those, um, you know, things that that God has done for you and um, positive things, you know, to encourage each other. Right. 
And it works. It works it because um, I think when people tell the truth, there's a, there's a sound that happens in your chest or your stomach that tells you there's hope, there's hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that's the way it feels. And, you, and plus, I think we're here to remind each other. Exactly. You know, retell the stories and we remind each other when this happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. And, you know, it's just to keep the memories and uh, reminding each other, you know, that how, how great this is and what wonderful thing that comes ahead of us, you know. Right. And um, I was wondering if you would tell us about your great-grandfather because he's, uh, he's, uh, he's in your book also. Yes, yes. Um, yes, I, I have several stories in there of people who died, and, and two of one was my grandfather, one was my great-grandfather. I had dreams about them actually probably at the exact time of their death. Uh, both mm-hmm. of theirs I was I was dreaming. And my great-grandfather is really interesting. That was my mother's grandfather. And... Um, he was a sweet man, and, and I loved him dearly. I wasn't terribly close to him because he was so much older than me. He was blind, and he was deaf, and he was in a nursing home. And uh, he died when I was away at college. I hadn't been to college probably more than just a few weeks at the time that he died. Um, but it, I had a very interesting dream, a um, lot of symbolism in there. And I was dating a boy named Andy at the time, and Andy drove this bright green gremlin. <laughs> and in the dream, uh, and that was true, <laughs> and in the dream, he called me and uh, asked what I wanted to do for my birthday. And of all things, in real life, I probably wouldn't have even dreamed this up. But in the dream, I said, I'd love to see my great-grandfather. And so in the dream, (laughs) this gremlin not only drove, but it flew like a helicopter. And he flew from St. Louis up to Hannibal, where I was in school, picked me up. We flew back to St. Louis. We went to the nursing home where my grandfather was living at the time. And uh, the nurse took me into a room that was like a treatment room. I know that as a nurse, you know, in retrospect, it had a kind of a cold steel uh, table in there, and Grandpa was in a little shoebox, you know, so there was some symbolism in there because for some reason in my dreams, a shoebox typically represents death. Maybe it's like a coffin. But I didn't see him as being dead. I just knew he was in the shoebox, and I never really spoke. It was kind of all from my heart. It was like a a telepathy almost, you know, our mind. And I said, you know, hi, and it was good to see him. And Andy brought the gremlin around, and the nurse, uh, we opened the hatchback and put all these flowers in, and there was just enough room to put Grandpa's shoebox in there. So it was very much like a funeral when I really look back, uh, like a hearse, you know, how you would put the coffin and the flowers to go to the cemetery. But that's what we were doing in the dream. And uh, we got into the gremlin, and we flew up to Hannibal. I was going to show Grandpa around and show him where I went to school. And had a really wonderful time with him. 
And then all of a sudden things took a dark turn, and Andy got really upset with me <laughs> that I'd chosen to do that for my birthday. I thought, well, that was odd since he gave me mm. the choice, and he was so excited earlier. But he got a little upset with me, and we flew back. And, and when we did, Grandpa was telling me, he says, you know, you can do so much better than this young man. He's not the right <laughs> young man for you. And I kept saying, oh, Grandpa, I love him, you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we, we got him out. We returned him. And uh, and I woke up, and I told my roommate at the time. I said, Judy, I have this really weird feeling that my grandpa, my great grandpa's going to die. And she said, Why? I said, I just had this really odd dream about him. And I no sooner said that. And downstairs we had a little phone system. It was sort of like a Morse code, and and they did my code for the phone. And I went down. And it was my mom, and she told me Grandpa had had just died. And uh, she said, you don't need to come home, but we just wanted to let you know. And uh, it was just so odd. And yet there was so much symbolism in the dream that I was not at all surprised. And and uh, Andy and I broke up <laughs> probably a few months later. And he was right. He wasn't the right one for me. <laughs> but, well, he uh, knew you know, it, but it, he just wanted, before a guy any father, he was trying to tell you. You know, it's uh, how strange the dream is, but I think that he was telling you the truth and you were able to see him. Because I went, uh, one time I had a dream, it's the same thing in a car, but it was my VW ragtop. I had a red VW Uh with a little ragtop, it was a 63. And in shotgun was my uh, mother-in-law, my first mother-in-law. And I was Uh really shocked to see her there. But um, what happened is I was just driving along. Uh, along the beach and the shore and suddenly she grabbed the wheel and she just went like a maniac, grabbed the wheel and she ended us both down the drink. So we were actually oh. down, uh, going down into the ocean and she was dragging me with her. I literally had to, with force, put my arm around her and pull her away from the steering wheel and I brought us back up to shore. So what happened is that... Uh, my mother-in-law did end up in the hospital and but and and was there but my daughter told me I told my daughter my daughter the dream she says mom that's what happened oh, she no. said she 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 woke up and she was fighting and trying to hit everybody and was out of control and they had actually had to uh give her a sedative and they tied her down wow you know what i mean so i think that we were sharing some kind mm-hmm. of a weird experience, you know, and that's happened more than once to me, but that stands uh, out because there would be somebody, you know, you weren't necessarily, I wasn't really, since I, but I noticed since I was 15, that's mm-hmm. the thing, you know what I mean? So uh, she was my relative for quite a long time, you know, but uh-huh. uh, it was it was shocking to uh, actually be with her like that. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, that would make scared me. Maybe scared uh-huh. me because <laughs> there was always the end of the world. She was always saying the end of the world was coming. Oh, so she'd been scaring me since I was fifteen. So, mm-hmm. you know, finally, I finally she was in the hospital another time, and I she said it to me again. The world was coming. I said, "Why does the whole world have to end? You're gonna meet your maker pretty soon, old lady." And then she started laughing because it's the only time I ever said that like that to her. <laughs> 
And it's the first time I ever heard her kind of bust out laughing, you know, because oh, she just wow. so intimidating to everybody, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, God rest her soul. I hope she went to the good place. <laughs> so, anyway, so what are what are you, what are your plans now? What are you going to write another book, or what, what's going on with you now? Yes, I I do think I'm going to write another book. I'm I'm pr- uh, in fact I have two kind of going on at the moment. Um my uh my biggest uh roadblock, I guess I would say is um you know, I'm retired now. I'm on a very fixed income and uh I self-publish these first two books. So, uh it's going to get bogged down now cuz I'm actually going to have to find a traditional publisher who's uh willing to take one on or I'm going to have to somehow come up with some more money, which is not not that easy once yeah. you retire. No. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I'm going to keep writing even if it just means writing those stories for my family again Um, because I still have more stories and I think when you do write a story like this tug of war you know what I found is there's probably as many stories as I wrote I forgot to include so you know I mean there's Mm -hmm. there's a lot more stories and that's just life you know life goes on and more things happen and uh, so yeah I'm I'm probably will write in one form or another (laughs) the rest of my life I, uh, I just find a lot of satisfaction in that yeah, I really think you should because it's it's very enjoyable and you know it's uh, you learn a lot by reading other people's stories and how they did it and how they overcame it or what they what happened. And uh, yeah. there's one more story I want to really hear about and uh, um, and plus help me understand this one. It's called a strong tug from the dark side. It's when you met your future husband in 1973 at the wedding rehearsal right. of your best friend Judy. Can you tell us about that story? Yes, that was uh and I'm I'm pretty sure that was the it was a hypnagogic dream. Yeah, that's um, why I didn't understand was yeah. that word. Yeah. Well, you know, for for your listeners who don't know those words, hypnagogic and hypnopompic uh are dreams or events uh even like a hallucination. The hypnagogic occurs as you're falling asleep. The hypnopompic will occur as you're waking up. They both occur during a, a form of sleep known as sleep paralysis. And um, the one, the hypnagogic, that almost everybody can identify with, have you ever been just kind of falling asleep and all of a sudden you feel like you're really falling and you kind of yeah. grab out? Okay, that is a hypnagogic event okay so most people have have had that that's one that everybody experiences uh some people when they're falling asleep or when they're waking up may feel like somebody's sitting on the edge of their bed they may hear somebody walking into the room or walking out of the room they might smell coffee brewing or bacon cooking uh so in other words these dreams can can affect any of your senses you might hear somebody call your name um when you're fully awake there's nobody there okay so um i find these dreams incredibly interesting because they are so real and yet at the uh, on the other hand they're they're not real <laughs> and uh, to me that's just a fascinating fascinating thing this particular dream that you're asking about uh it did occur um when I first started dating my husband, 
we um had we had a date set up. I was working night shift as a nurse and so I was sleeping that day. I had planned to sleep till about four thirty, you know, get up and take my shower and get ready for the date. And about five minutes to three or so I woke up. I heard what I thought was someone in my living room. I heard some sort of giggling and some talking and I thought, Oh, somebody's here and so I tried to think who in the world would come into my apartment while I was sleeping. Um, and then I thought, okay, maybe it's my best friend Judy and her husband and maybe her brother. I, I mean, it didn't make sense because um, she didn't have a key, a key to the apartment. But um, then I thought, well, could it be my sisters and my dad? What it seemed like was two male voices and two female voices. And and I heard it and I had to force myself to wake up. I remember trying to go who's there and all that was coming out was who 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 <laughs> and my eyes were fluttering and I finally forced my eyes awake. I forced that, you know, who's there out of my mouth and as I forced myself to wake up, what I noticed was there had been a sort of a staticky almost electric charge to the atmosphere as well and as soon as I woke up it was gone when I woke up it was perfectly still in the apartment very quiet it was cool there was no electric static charge everything seemed fine Uh, I called out is anybody there no one answered I laid my head back down to go back to sleep and as soon as I closed my eyes the whole process started again This time, the voices that were in the living room sounded like they were a little bit closer to my bedroom door. Um, I could hear them sort of arguing with each other and saying, be quiet or you're going to wake her up. And it, it almost seemed as though they had to do something to me before I woke up. It was a a real frightening moment. And again, I forced myself to wake up. I mean, everything in me, if you've ever been under anesthesia and have to wake up from that, you know, it's a a kind of a in-between state, and it's hard to force your eyes open. Well, I had to force my eyes open again, and again, I called out, who's there? And again, it was just perfectly quiet and still. I closed my eyes for the third time. I went back to sleep again, tried, and as soon as I closed my eyes again, these voices were right outside my door at that point. They were, you know, again saying, be quiet, she almost woke up, hurry up. And there was, uh, you know, like an urgency to do whatever it was they had to do. And um, I was actually quite quite disturbed by it. I I was really frightened, and I could tell that they were going to do something to me. Um, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they were trying to do, but I was really quite disturbed by it. At that point, um, I... There was like this urgent, hurry up, hurry up, throw it. And they threw something in the room. I felt something hit my foot. With that, I woke up for the third time. And that time I jumped out of bed. 
what I thought hit my foot. Now, this is the strangest part of it all. Mm-hmm. I really thought I knew what hit my foot. My grandmother, when I was a kid growing up, had made for my aunt one of these old um, octopuses out of yarn. Uh, it was sort of like it had a styrofoam ball that they wrapped yarn around for the head, and then they braided all the rest of the yarn into eight legs, and they, they sat on the beds. And all the kids my aunt's age, she's only like seven years older than me, had those back in the day. And for some reason, I felt like that's what had gotten thrown on me. Now, I, when I jumped out of bed, there was nothing in my room. There was no one in my Apartment. There was no one in the living room, uh, but I didn't go back to sleep. I just decided that's it. I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to go back to sleep. I very much had the sense of almost like um, like somebody was putting a spell on me. Like I was somebody was putting mm. a curse or a witchcraft spell or something on me. I to this day. I don't know. I comfort myself to say it was a dream. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I comfort myself and say it was only one of these hypnopompic dreams that happen as you're waking up. Um, but it was a it was a really very frightening, frightening dream. Uh, wow. So it didn't turn out to be anything. Right. Right. So so ultimately once I was awake and out of the bed there was nothing there. Okay. Um what I'm thinking about is that um what you what you're read what you I'm sort of looking at the book while uh you were talking about it and you were talking about your aunt Tony and uh she was just, she was almost nine years older than you and she used to right. at you. And right. uh, then you said that um, she made a yarn octopus. I remember those. They were supposed to uh-huh, be sitting yeah. on your bed, right? Yeah, they, I mean, they were very common. It seemed like everybody had them. <laughs> so, what do you, so what do you think that was about? You know, I really don't know because as a child, um, seeing those, I, I can't really say I was ever afraid of them. I never had any association no, of anything being, you know, scary about it or anything frightening happening, uh, you know, near it. So I have no idea. Um I mean, certainly <laughs> something could have happened that I just didn't remember or blocked out. And, uh, you know, I, I, some of those things, it's like, who knows? I really don't know. Yeah, because some things, you know, you can't take. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the explanation for that. But that oddness and why I remembered that I wanted to ask you about it was, because I didn't know. Because uh, sometimes when you feel like you're you're falling, at one time I it was almost somebody was hitting a with a big anvil was hitting well with with a big hammer was hitting an anvil. I've had many strange things happen to me during that time. Mhm. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. Um... I can remember actually even working with a counselor with some of some of the strange memories that I had, and that was one that we explored to see, you know, is there something yeah. maybe behind it or beneath it that, um, but we came up just totally empty, empty, empty. Nothing, nothing came up. So I don't know. Yeah, I have a feeling about that one that it really happened. 
You know what I mean? That there was just something uh, weird about it. Because, uh, but why would you bring up that? Well, you know, if some some uh, people that, that believe in witchcraft and stuff do say they they, they weave a spell. Uh-huh. You know, maybe that had you. That maybe that's what reminded you of the weaving of that octopus ball. And I do remember them. Right. Yeah. And and certainly that's possible. That's that's certainly possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, certainly there's 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 more things that uh, happen that I don't have an explanation for and don't <laughs> understand. Um, but like I say, I think ultimately, even those, I just have to say, God's in control. He's in charge, and right. He's the one I'm going to put my faith in. Uh, That's so, right. Yeah. Because there's a there's a reason for everything, and even these little odd things. I think there's even a reason for that, you know. Right, right. And then um, you uh, then you started to say that you were married at uh, 1974, and that how it poured down rain the night of your wedding. It's almost like yeah, there's like a jinx yeah. going on. <laughs> oh, it just poured. It was bad. It was so bad. <laughs> But I know, and well, and like we had talked about a little bit earlier, um, I mean, I think some of these things, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of like a, a premonition or a, an omen or something, you know, I mean, somebody might say, well, it's a, a bad luck omen. I mean, even this this thing that happened the first time we, we dated, you know, to have something that bad, scary happen. Um, yeah. And then throughout that whole that whole time that in retrospect I see that maybe Satan was was trying to prevent something. Uh it may all be part of that. Uh and I don't know. I just I don't like know. I say I I have to um like the title says, I I trust God through the unexplained. <laughs> right. Yeah, because when you when you're writing about your sister passing out at the wedding, uh yeah, oh, yeah, me. <laughs> Debbie passed out, knocked the candles over, and I thought, well, at least we didn't burn the church down. <laughs> That's right. She passed because, out at the uh, wedding. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because I yeah, had Yeah, it was a, sort of like one thing after another went wrong, you know? It's like, mm. It's very odd. I always kind of count on things going wrong, so so I can <laughs> kind of not uh, uh, try to aim for perfection because it's going to be messed up. So I have a happier time <laughs> when I just keep it light now, you know? So, right. uh, because so many weird things have happened, but this happened to a lady I worked for. Um, so she was getting married to her uh, second husband, and I said, "Well, can I see the wedding pictures?" And then she, she's showing me pictures of her being taken away in an ambulance. I said, oh, "What no. the heck happened to you?" <laughs> and she's in her wedding clothes and everything else. And then you know he was kind of smiling to get in the back with her. In the ambulance, she found out when she gets nervous, she has a heart condition, and oh. it made her pass out. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Poor thing. <laughs> her wedding pictures are all the, you know, and they're divorced now. Oh, She, she won't hear oh. this, but they're, uh, they did get a divorce, but um, I don't think that was the intention of her. You know, I think that what happened is that she needed to get on heart medication. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, and probably. so when you're in a high stress situation, uh, you know this this uh, electrical thing in her heart would act up. But anyway, 
So we only have a couple more minutes, and I just want to uh, thank you so much for being on the show and telling us, you know, your uh, very uh, rich life story that isn't over yet. You know, there's always, um, you know, something new that comes around the bend. Because to me, I always think it's over, then it starts brand new again. I think that's, that's true. That's you know, true. I, I think that's what uh, why to have a good belief system and to keep your faith going is that you think it's over, but it's really not. That might, that one little path might be over, but a whole brand new one is just waiting. For you That's to right. We the never know what's the around one. the bend. <laughs> we don't. We really don't. And so uh, I'd like you to, uh, for the listeners, um, this is Terry Johnson Weber, author of The Tug of War, Trusting God Through the Unexplained, and she's been sharing her uh, unexplained and explained and uh, words that we didn't know and, uh, I'm very. Uh, I've, I love your book, and uh, I encourage everybody to go get it. This would be a good uh, gift for Christmas. So you can, Amazon's getting things shipped out quick. So I would go order this book. Terry Johnson Weber, W E B E R, Tug of War, Trusting God Through the Unexplained, and I really like it. I wanted pictures, but I didn't get any. You oh no, I mean? there were no pictures in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the cover. I want to though, see your wedding pictures. I want a picture of that gremlin. I want, you know, oh. that's why I thought it should be a movie. I do love the cover also. Yes, I would say it's my very friend John Hayes took that. It's it's from Bell Fountain Cemetery in St. Louis, and he uh, he takes pictures of the angels uh, in that cemetery. And I just love this one with her, uh, you know, kind of putting her finger up to her. Her face kind of whispering. She is. She's whispering, and and uh, it's a beautiful picture, and I like the way this whole thing is, is laid out, and uh, it's really excellent. So um, I want to uh, encourage you to come back again and because uh, we were just going to be waiting for your next book. And uh, what do you have get going for the holiday season? Because, you know, we made it through Thanksgiving in one piece. Now what about Christmas? Right. We're staying home for Christmas. Um, I've got kids in, in Phoenix. I've got kids in Omaha. And then I have one here in Williamsburg. And so uh, we've traveled the last Christmas, and we're just going to stay home and kind of have a nice, quiet Christmas at home this year. That's nice. Did you decorate? So we'll enjoy that. Yeah, because your house is beautiful. I saw the before and afters, and... Uh, you guys did a really good job in that house. It's really oh, nice. Oh, thank you, thank you. Did, did so? Did you decorate or inquiring minds want to know? Yeah, I did. In fact, I put my tree up. I have an artificial tree. It's it's a little pencil tree. It's seven foot tall because I can handle that all by myself. That's right. <laughs> and at my age, I need something easy. So I had yeah. that put up in our uh, entryway, and then I've got two tiny little trees in the living room. One, because we live in Williamsburg, Virginia, one is all colonial Williamsburg ornaments, and the other one is all nativity scene ornaments in the two little ones. And then I've got snowmen on the mantles, and, and we're hockey fans. We're ice hockey fans. Our kids all played ice hockey. And so we even have a little hockey scene uh, set up. <laughs> 
in the, the dining cool. room. And, uh, yeah, we've got our – in fact, I posted them all on Facebook today. So uh, I think your friend's on Facebook with me. You should go and take a yeah, look at our ornaments. I think it's going to be nice. And uh, I am uh, living vicariously through you. All the kids are gone. They're all gone. Oh. And three grandkids. They're all uh-huh. gone, so uh, oh. hopefully I'll see somebody. But it's, it's a different world when they grow up and move away. I don't, I don't like it. It is. I don't either. Well, our okay. grandkids all live in Omaha, so we went up there at Halloween when the weather was a little bit nicer. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So I wish you a good night. I want to thank you again for being our guest. And uh, oh, well, thank you for having me on, Char. I really you. enjoyed it. You're very welcome, and. Uh, I'll edit all the uh, other stuff out, so it'll be nice by the time you hear it again. <laughs> Wonderful. And you have a good Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas and God bless. Thank you. God bless. Yes, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, so uh, thank you for listening tonight. It's just been a wonderful night. I don't know why I started out nervous. Who knows why I do that, but I'd like to read the... Uh, the the uh, some passage out of her book, and uh, sh- uh, she says, I've shared the mysterious parts of my faith journey with you to assure you that God, who rules the universe, knows what he is doing, even when we don't. And it says, this is what the past is for. Every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives is a perfect preparation for the future that only he can see. And that's by Corey Tim Boom, The Hiding Place. And so... Uh, she's saying again, take courage in your God and let him direct your path every day. And uh, uh, then she has a quote by Billy Graham, and it says, believers, look up and take courage. The angels are nearer than you think. And that's what I wish for all of us. And as we move towards yet another holiday, you know, keep our courage up. And I want to God bless everybody. And uh, take care. I'll see you next week. Joni Mahan, who she's talking to us about her book and the paranormal. So take care, you guys. Love you. Bye-bye.